what's going on man welcome back to between two jerseys last week we had our pilot episode you know episode number zero 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 today officially episode number one and as i said in the last video this is just going to be kind of my scattered thoughts on sports this week and this week was week eight of the nfl season nothing else was really going on so i'm going to break down some nfl stuff some dynasty football stuff some fantasy football a trade target i even have a lot of cool stuff coming up in this episode. Now, before I get into that, make sure you go down below and subscribe. And while you're down there, leave a comment. I'm always looking for recommendations on this show. For right now, I'm kind of just going, sitting down on the laptop, writing out like an outline, a write-up for this episode, and just, just kind of free-flowing with thoughts. But if I run out of ideas, if I, if I want to add on to the video, I'd love to hear some suggestions. I'd love to do like a Q&A mailbag type episode. One of the boys down in the comments was recommending maybe going through the Dynasty rookies that did well this week. So those are those are some things that I'm looking at. And before I go on any longer, let's get into episode one. Between two jerseys, man, let's go. This past Sunday, we had a lot of stuff happen. You know, the, the Baltimore versus Steelers game was a big game. You had the shit show on Sunday night with the Eagles and Cowboys. But the thing that I really want to zoom out and look at is this Seahawks offense, man. They just routed the 49ers 37-27. to 27. You, I honestly got no clue what the fuck's going on with the Niners, you know. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, if he got pulled. Then they're running like three different wide receivers, or three different running backs. They got uh, fucking Debo Samuels hurt, George Kittle's hurt. Like that team, Nick Bosa's hurt, Richard Sherman's hurt. That team just went from competing for a Super Bowl to they, they probably, they're not looking like they're even going to make the wild card right now. Let's look past the 49ers. The Seahawks won 37-27, and I think that that score isn't really indicative of how close it, the game actually was. It, it really wasn't that close of a game. The Seahawks had it the whole time. Like, the, the 27 only came for some garbage time stuff for the 49ers, and this game was just, it was just a display of this Seahawks offense in 2020. They lead the league in points per game with 34.3, and Russell Wilson, you know, we were all, we were talking about the offseason, like, let Russ cook, you know, it was kind of like a meme, but like, Pete Carroll's letting that boy fucking cook. He's the QB1, and he's the overall 101 in fantasy football right now through only seven games. So he is he's only played seven games. The rest of, Most of the rest of the league has played eight, and he's still not only the QB1, but the overall highest score in fantasy football right now. So the question I was asking myself is, is the Seahawks the best fantasy offense we've ever seen? This is I've never seen a season like this, but I'm also on the younger side. I, I didn't see the Tom Brady with Randy Moss 50-touchdown season. And I do remember the Peyton Manning season with Demarius Thomas, but this is going to be up there, man. Russell Wilson now has 26 passing touchdowns through seven games, and he's on pace for 59 right now. And the next the next best passer right now is 21 touchdowns from Patrick Mahomes, and he looks good. They, he, they just sort of shitted on my Jets a little bit, but you know what that happens. The Jets, the Jets go to Arrowhead, sure, Mahomes is going to light him up for 21 touchdowns, or for, I think he had like maybe three passing touchdowns, four. Now he has 21 TDs on the season, but that's through eight games. Russell Wilson has 26. He has five more than Patrick Mahomes, the second place guy with one less game played. And last year, Lamar Jackson had the league lead in passing touchdowns with 36. And Russ is 72% of the way there, and he hasn't even played half of the games. Just let let that stat sink in for a second. If Russ doesn't get hurt, God, let's hopefully hope to God that he does not get hurt. This is not only an insane quarterback season, but this offense as a whole is insane. They're averaging 34.3 points per game right now. Russell Wilson's on pace for 59 passing touchdowns. And then uh, after we go from Russell, let's go to the running back position. We have Chris Carson, who he has been panged up a lot, but on a per game basis, he's the RB7 in points per game among running backs. So they have a top seven running back, the overall 101 at quarterback. Russell Wilson is doing insane things. And then you look past that and you go to the wide receiver. Now, before I even get into wide receivers, the whole reason why this is even possible 
is because the Seahawks defense is so bad. They're giving up a lot of points. Jamal Adams isn't there. That whole defense besides Bobby Wagner has just been decimated. And what that allows, you didn't really see it this game. The, the 49ers did, a, did put up 27, but it, it wasn't as close as that. There was a lot of garbage time touchdowns happening, and the Seahawks having a bad defense, that's just what happens. But the Seahawks defense allows the, the other team to always be in the game. The, the Seahawks are, are, rarely, are rarely blowing out teams because their defense is so bad. That's why a game that they, they easily had all along was only t like a 10-point deficit at the end of it. Now, when, when that happens, it, it causes... It causes the Seahawks to almost be forced to let Russell Wilson pass the football. So that's how you get Tyler Lock and DK Metcalf who are wide receiver two and wide receiver three in points per game behind only Devontae Adams. You're looking at Russell Wilson, who's the QB1, overall 101 in fantasy football. Then you have Chris Carson, who's the RB7. And then at wide receiver, we have Tyler Lockett at the wide receiver two and DK Metcalf at the wide receiver three. The even like wilder part is that Tyler Lockett is the wide receiver two after having like a dud week. Uh, on Sunday against the 49ers. I think he only had like 40 receiving yards. He had somewhere on the lower side where it was a DK Metcalf game. DK, when you get a DK Metcalf game, you not only know it for sure, but it's special, man. He had 15 targets, 12 catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns on the 49ers defense. This is a defense that I know that they have a lot of injuries, but they're still a top 10, top 15 defense. And they just, and DK Metcalf just shitted on them, man. And it's not like, it's not like they're completely decimated. Like I said, on player profiler, the number two corner on player profiler is Jason Verrett, who's only been giving up 4.2 fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers. Well, DK Metcalf says, Fuck all that. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to score 34.1.5 PPR points. He had a 40% target share, 50% of the passing touchdowns, and he had 61% of Russ's passing yards. He just absolutely dominated. And like I said, that was against player profiler's number two cornerback, Jason Verrett. Now, I know Jason Verrett... He's been kind of off the radar recently. He's not really a big name anymore. But remember, when he was on the Chargers and he got drafted early, he was a big name up-and-coming corner. Then he got hurt, got some injuries. Now he's on the 49ers. And I do know that Witherspoon and Sherman are out. But DK Metcalf's lining up most of the time against Jason Verrett, and he absolutely torched him. And it wasn't just torching him deep like he usually does. The, DK Metcalf is no longer just... You, you can't just meme DK Metcalf and say, oh yeah, he just, he just lines up on the left and he runs streaks the whole game. It's not the same thing where Michael Thomas and you're going to meme him for slants, which is which is honestly bullshit to begin with, but to marginalize these receivers as a one-dimensional type guy, that's fine when DK Metcalf came in. He was a raw receiver. He was a guy that was a deep threat in college and specialized in, in streaks and shit like that, but now DK Metcalf, he's really perfected his craft. I talked about this in the offseason. DK Metcalf, he came into the league as a guy that's just going to run streaks, but by the end of the season, he, he became more than that, and it shows on the route trees on NFL Next Gen Stats. When you look at that, the, the main game that did it for me was the game against the Eagles in the playoffs. In that game, DK Metcalf was used as an alpha, and that's how he's being used in 2020, and that's what we saw on Sunday. He was lining up in the slot, he was running comeback, streaks, screens, slants. As I said, he's gonna be working in all three levels of the field, and that's what's huge for that alpha level receiver, for him to make that next step. And it's really just sort of the beginning of what's going to be a special borderline Hall of Fame career for DK Metcalf. I, I know, I know that's insane to say in his second year, but I'm so I'm so sure that what we're seeing from DK Metcalf is not just a product of Russell Wilson being super efficient and is DK Metcalf's talent. Right now, I'm not sure how many receivers you can put over DK Metcalf on a on a list of best wide receivers in the NFL. If the league restarted today, like a like a Madden fantasy football draft, and we're drafting teams for one year, not not for the not from a dynasty perspective. From a dynasty perspective, we know DK Metcalf is like a top one or two wide receiver because over the next few years he's gonna be great, but just for 2020, how many receivers would you draft over him? For me, it's a short list, man. I would just have probably DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and Michael Thomas over DK Metcalf right now. And then DK Metcalf, I would say, is firmly 
in that next year. He's in that next year with Ke guys like Keenan Allen. We got guys like Mike Evans there, Chris Godwin, A.J. Brown. Those type of high-end elite wide receivers. I'd say he's in that five to eight range right now. And that's, that's in season two. He's going to have an insane season this year from an efficiency standpoint. With only 135 targets, he, he's on pace for 82, 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns. And I know that that 82 catch total is low, but you have to remember that... The reason why we don't perceive DK Metcalf in the same light as a DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, is because he's not getting the same volume as that. He's only on pace for 135 targets, and he's in an offense with Tyler Lockett. He's not even the, the target leader on his own team. That's Tyler Lockett, and the rest of those guys are the are the established alpha, and they're peppered with targets. So let's let's just do a little let's do a little exercise, and let's let's see what Metcalf would do if he had 166 targets like a Hopkins. Hopkins gets 100, is on pace for 166 targets this year. So DK Metcalf with 166 targets would have 101 catches, 1,907 yards, and 19 touchdowns. That would put him second behind Calvin Johnson on the all-time single-season receiving yards list as a second-year player in the NFL. And the player that he would beat out from that third place, from that second-place spot, would be Julio Jones. It's just so fitting that this year, if he was afforded 166 targets, he would be in between... Calvin Johnson and Julio Jones for one of the greatest seasons of all time. I know we're jumping out to, to best case scenario here. I know obviously this is going to be, this type of efficiency is only sustainable because Russell Wilson's on an MVP type campaign about to break the passing touchdown record. But if Tyler Lockett wasn't in the Seattle Seahawks offense and this was a Russell Wilson MVP season where DK Metcalf was the only wide receiver one in that offense, DK Metcalf as a, as a like 21, 22 year old second year player in the NFL would be would post a historic NFL season. And I think that because of that, that, that lack of just 30 more targets is what's going to put him stat-wise behind the elite tier of a Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins. When I think that he really is, I know it's, I know it's early, but I think that he's in that, in that exact range. The same way that Julio and Calvin Johnson were. When they came into the league, that second season, they really broke out, but their team isn't there with the targets because you have to look at a guy like Julio Jones. He didn't get 130 targets until his fourth year because he was kind of the the 1B to Roddy White. The similar way that Metcalf's the 1B to Tyler Lockett, that's what I'm saying. The, so the numbers aren't going to be the same as, uh, as a Michael Thomas, Hopkins, Julio Jones from a targets catches perspective, but that's not to say that he's not as talented as those players. It's just a matter of him being in offense with Tyler Lockett and not being afforded those same that same volume and same targets that those elite tier guys are. So as I say here, talking about DK Metcalf being the next all-time great Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Andre Johnson level physical specimen type receiver. How the fuck did the NFL let him fall to the 64th pick? I know that he had like a Tom Brady level three cone drill, and I know that he had injuries in college, but when you when you just look at DK Metcalf, 6'3", 230 pounds, runs a great 40, I just don't see how you let him fall to the 64th pick. I'm not trying to do a hindsight's 2020 kind of thing because for me, from a prospect level, I, I could completely, on drafting, I could completely warn drafting Hollywood Brown, Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, and Debo Samuel over him. Those were all great prospects. They all ran They all ran fine at the combine, had great production, great early production. Not, not so much Hollywood Brown, but he's like that speed kind of guy uh, on the Oklahoma offense. They were all legit wide receiver one prospects and top 50 level picks. Whereas I think that the wide receivers after those guys and before DK Metcalf are probably probably some of the most like catastrophic team crippling picks because you you were the team that messed up on the pick. The the guys drafted in between that tier of players and DK Metcalf, even though 
pre-draft, we all knew that DK Metcalf was in that exact tier of players. He was with the A.J. Brown, the Kiel Harry, AJ, uh, Debo Samuel, Hollywood Brown tier. He should have been in that top five. But NFL evaluators thought that they were being smart. You know, the, the front office guys, oh, he doesn't run a fast three cone. He got hurt in college. Let's let's miss, let's miss let's just pass on him. So instead, they took McCole Hardman, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Paris Campbell, and Andy Isabella. Like I said, I, I'm not trying to play 2020. Or I'm not trying to say, like, like, you can't just give a hindsight bias, like, oh, yeah, of course, you should have taken that wide receiver. But before that, in the pre-draft process, the analytics, the dynasty community, we knew that DK Metcalf deserved to be ahead of those wide receivers. And I think that this was just the NFL really overthinking this pick. In college, as a sophomore, he was an elite deep threat, a deep threat guy with over 20 yards per reception. Then you also have him run a 4-3-3. So he's already a Deshaun Jackson-level deep threat in the body of Julio Jones. So as an NFL evaluator, how do you not just take the elite deep threat with the body of a red zone target and just and just sell yourself on molding him into the next great wide receiver, similar to like kind of how the Bills, they take Josh Allen, oh yeah, we'll, we'll mold him into that next like big arm, big body kind of guy, like Justin Herbert, Carson Wentz. Why not do the same thing with that wide receiver? It's not like he wasn't getting the hype. I, I remember the morning that he ran that 40 time, there were places like Bleach Report, ESPN, Every place on Instagram, Twitter was talking about DK Metcalf's 40 time. And I remember seeing in the comments, I know the comments, I know you got bozos in the comments, but people in the comments talking about, oh, this guy's going to be a top 15 pick, wide receiver one, all this stuff. And I remember the mock drafts. He was projected to be a top 20 pick, a first round pick. And then draft day comes and he falls all the way to the late second. Nobody thought he'd fall to the 64th pick. They were trying to sidestep the next Kevin White, Rashad Perriman, Doyle Green Beckham, those size speed guys that just end up flaming out in the NFL. And I could see why they would see that with Julio Jones. But you have to remember that, like I said, it, it's not just A.J. Brown. He's a side speed guy. He only broke out for one season. He broke out as a sophomore and he played well. And I think in the process of trying to sidestep a guy like Perriman, White, Green Beckham, instead they sidestepped the next Julio Jones for a Perriman, White, Green Beckham type player. The, these guys, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella, uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Nicole Hardman, I would be shocked if any of those guys end up in a Pro Bowl, if any of them crack like 1,100 receiving yards in a season. A lot of those guys were players that just on paper, on the like in the combine, just didn't even have the same upside as a Metcalf. And while you're in that second round, at that point you're shooting for upside, especially at a position like wide receiver. There's not a world where any of those four wide receivers can be your wide receiver one in your NFL offense. Whereas Metcalf, he looked the part of that. He looked the part of a wide receiver one in an NFL offense. And I just don't see how you don't, right there, you don't just draft him. And I think the biggest thing is, is that, like I said, they were trying to just sidestep the next size speed bust. And the problem is, is that he was a crazy combine athlete, but you got to provide context to these college wide receivers. He was, DK Metcalf, his sophomore year, he broke out, which is crazy. You want, you want your receiver to break out as a sophomore and that's what really cements him as a good wide receiver. That's what AJ Brown did. That's what Juju Smith-Schuster did. Chris Godwin. All those great wide receivers, they break out at the very latest as a sophomore. He breaks out, not only does he break out as a sophomore, but he breaks out as a sophomore in an offense with AJ Brown, Van Jefferson. They had uh, Dawson Knox. So those, those two wide receivers, Van Jefferson and AJ Brown, both second round picks. And then they had Dawson Knox at tight end. So it was a it was a stacked offense. And then they had a struggling QB, Shea Patterson, shitty ass QB room. Don't, I don't even know how, I don't know how that happens where you have A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Van Jefferson, and Dawson Knox, and you don't somehow make a run at the national championship, but that's, that's for another time. That's for the incompetence of Ole Miss, but once you, once you add that context, you can't even compare him to a guy like Kevin White, who didn't break out until his senior year in a Big 12 offense. It, the, the SEC of, of 2017-2016 is much different than the Big 12 of 2014-2013. 
And not only that, he broke out as a senior. He didn't do it as a sophomore. And nobody else in that receiver room got drafted as high as an A.J. Brown or Van Jefferson. So, like I said, he was on an air raid. D.K. Metcalf was on an SEC offense. I just don't see how we passed up on. I think that it's going to be a way for the, the NFL valuers are going to learn from this. Kevin White is a, is a decent example, but the, honestly, the only reason that he broke out as a senior is because he spent his first two years at junior college. And another guy who did that was Brandon Ayuk. Ayuk is low-key my favorite wide receiver to buy in seasonal leagues right now. And not in Dynasty. I know that he's a rookie. I know a lot of people think that you should go buy him in Dynasty, that he's more of a Dynasty player as a rookie. But I think that after these two good weeks that he just had, players are not going to want to sell him at... They're, they're going to want to try and sell high on Ayuk. So, so wait for him to come back down in Dynasty. But in seasonal, I think this is a good spot to buy him. And before I get into why he's a good buy in seasonal leagues, let's, let's zoom out. Let's look at Ayuk as the player, as the prospect, as the talent. And he got drafted in the first round, 25th overall pick. Kyle Shanahan comes up to grab him. He comes out of Arizona State. And the whole reason why he like breaks out as a senior, it's because of community college, but it's also because Nikhil Harry was there. Nikhil Harry, as a junior at Arizona State, was the man of that locker room, that receiving core. He was a stud. He got drafted in the first round as well to the Patriots. Now, I can't explain to you why Nikhil Harry isn't a stud now. I had him at wide receiver one in that draft class. I thought that he was going to be a stud, but he really fucking flamed out. I, I think he's still somebody that could be like a Devontae Parker, you know, later on in his career, but he really, he's really got to figure his shit out. He leaves Arizona State, and then you have uh, Ayuk, who comes in as the alpha wide receiver in that offense. He puts up 65, 11, 92, and eight touchdowns in 12 games. And that's a fine stat line as like a, as somebody that, he had a low reception total, high yard total. And the reason for that is his yard of the catch ability. He's one of those yak monster guys. He averaged 10.9 yards after the catch, which was the the 2020 wide receiver class high. He led all those wide receivers in yards of the catch. All those great wide receivers are seeing that right now. LaVisca Chanel, Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb. He averaged more yards of the catch than all of those guys. The reason why the yards of the catch is huge because he can create on a low volume and because that's the type of guy that Kyle Shanahan wants. He has that 90-second burst score on player profiler, so he's a bursty type guy. He's got the, the moves up to the catch. He kind of turns into a running back like an A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel guy. And the reason why that's perfect for this offense is because Debo Samuel's already there. Debo Samuel and Kittle were both top five in yards of the catch per reception amongst all skill position players in 2019, and now they're both hurt. So these are two guys specialized in yak in that offense. Kyle Shanahan loves using them in end arounds, reverses, screens. He loves giving them manufactured touches. And that's what he's going to do for Ayuk now that they're both hurt. Kittle's out for eight weeks. Debo Samuel, he's been struggling to stay healthy. I really don't know what's up with Debo because he's a player that's falling in dynasty right now. He was a, a damn like top 15 wide receiver after the season was over because he really picked up at the end there. But now he's been hurt and Ayuk is kind of starting to, he's starting to really dig into that, that what we thought was Debo's really safe wide receiver one spot with these last two weeks where Debo Samuel has been hurt Ayuk has gone crazy his style line the last two weeks has been 18 targets 12 catches 206 yards and a touchdown and he's been the wide receiver 10 in that span now this is without even Kittle being out so now there's more targets getting injected into Ayuk right into his fucking veins and the the whole reason why he's a buy-in seasonal is because in Dynasty he's having he, he just came off two great weeks Debo and Kittle are hurt everybody knows that in Dynasty but in seasonal these are people who are more casual. These are people who aren't really looking at rookie wide receivers as legit starters every week. You know what I mean? You're, you don't never feel good starting a rookie wide receiver until he truly, truly breaks out. And I think the only guys that are there yet are probably Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, and uh, CeeDee Lamb. Now, before that perception gets kind of solidified with Brandon Ayuk, if he gets another nice game, another game or two, 
this is the time where you buy. I, I think most seasonal players would be happy to to sell Brandon Ayukai. You know, he's a rookie wide receiver. The 49ers are ugly right now. Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know if he's hurt, getting benched. He's, there's always something going on with the 49ers, but I'm telling you, Ayuk, they're running out of playmakers. Kittle's gone, Debo's gone, Mostert's gone. The only guy who's going to be able to move the football for the next three to four weeks is going to be Brandon Ayuk. And for me, he's a top 30 wide receiver rest of season. And I really like his skill set. He's not a guy where he's going to have to get open downfield. You, you can get it to him on a, on like a five-yard in route, a drag route, and he can take it. We've seen him. He had that one fucking hurdle against the Eagles. He, he can take the ball and just make plays. Another guy who can do that, we've been known that he can do that, is J.K. Dobbins. He finally breaks out. J.K. Dobbins is a guy that was so frustrating because we knew how good he was at Ohio State. If you watched him at Ohio State with Justin Fields, the offense ran through him. He had over 2,000 rushing yards last year. And J.K. Dobbins was a guy that you could just you could just give the ball and get like six to seven yards per carry. And this was finally the week where J.K. Dobbins was not a part of that bullshit like three-headed backfield the Ravens have been running. That's been super annoying. He finally gets a, a snap share above 42%. He gets a 67% snap share, 15 carries for 113 yards, and he averages 7.5 yards per carry on the day. And that's a W for any rookie running back, but not only just a rookie running back, but a guy who did that against the Steelers. The Steelers have the best rush defense on uh, Football Outsiders, rush defensive DVOA. So that's a team, they're not giving up free rushing yards. That's a team, that's a front that has Bud Dupree, Casey Hay or not Kay Cameron Hayward. You got fucking TJ Watt. They got good linebackers. It's just, a, it's just a good front seven. It's a team that does not traditionally give up running yards, especially not this year. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just J.K. Dobbins. He just, you know, the, you can get inflated stat lines sometimes. Let's say he broke broke off like a 70-yard run. Then that really messes with the stat line and how good he actually did. But if you go and watch his highlights, if you go and watch, if you were watching that game, they were just chunk plays after chunk plays, uh, run after like contact. He was juking out defenders. He just looked really good between the tackles. And I don't, I know that Jim Harbaugh is not going to do it once Mark Ingram comes back, but I don't know how you just don't let J.K. Dobbins be the main guy in that backfield. It's so clear that he's better than Gus Edwards. He's better than Mark Ingram. He has a talent. He's the young guy. He's got a lot of juice. And I think that that backfield with him and Lamar Jackson is really dangerous. But at the end of the day, I think that the 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 realistic the realistic mindset is going to be that once Ingram comes back, Dobbins is going to revert back into like a three-headed backfield kind of thing. But the positive takeaways here are that Justice Hill didn't, like Justice Hill, the fourth round pick, the guy out of Oklahoma State, Two, two years ago, he didn't come in and fill in for Mark Ingram. My concern was that Justice Hill would come in and he would just he would just sort of feed, he would just be the replacement in that three-headed backfield and it still would be a, a three-way split. But it wasn't. It was just J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, which is, I think, I think it was kind of a, a window into next year. I'm just, the, the other thing is, I'm just happy that we got to see J.K. Dobbins do well. You know what I mean? If he, if he just never got that workload for the rest of the season, it would be a lot of, it'd be a lot of, like, wishing you know what I mean hoping that he's a good running back but we saw it today he or we saw it on Sunday he had a 7.5 yards per carry against the best rushing defense in the NFL and that's all I need to see in dynasty for his 2021 outlook I don't expect him to be a RB1 RB2 moving forward he's going to be while Mark Ingram is gone but Mark Ingram is eventually going to come back and it's going to be a really weird split JK Dobbins was really the only light spot yesterday and I think that this game against the Steelers we're going to see a lot of those Stephen A. Smith Max Kellerman type guys they're going to start to poke holes at the Ravens. Are they a fraud Super Bowl contender? I think that they I think that they are slightly fraudulent. The records of teams that they've beaten is 13-23-2, and, and the records of teams that they've lost to is 14-1. and one. And not even just stemming from this season, but last season. Last season, they had that MVP-type run with Lamar Jackson. They were the one seed in the AFC. 
they get bumped out in their first matchup against the Titans. Back then, they're struggling to, to win against those high-end teams, and then they're struggling to win in the playoffs and make a Super Bowl run. And this year, it's been a lot of the same. Like I said, the, the records that they've they've lost to and records that they've beaten are, are two completely different worlds of talent. And I think they're going to be a team that they're going to beat the player. They're going to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And the rough games have been tough for the Ravens recently. The Steelers game was close. They only lost 28 to 24 at home. But that KC game they played at home. KC came into their crib uh, in Baltimore and they lost 14 on, it was like Sunday night football or Monday night football. It just wasn't even that close. And I think that a lot of the, the fingers are going to start getting pointed at Lamar Jackson. It's tough to ask him to be an MVP to, to like there's only so many times a quarterback has that MVP season you know what I mean Patrick Mahomes has been a great quarterback the last three four years but he only won MVP once and I know that he was hurt last year but even this year he's not the front runner for MVP so it's hard it's hard for a quarterback to to replicate their their MVP numbers and that's what Lamar Jackson is being asked to do this year now he has regressed a little bit in 2019 he played 15 games he posted 3,127 yards, 36 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, and an 82.3 quarterback rating. And in this year, his 15-game pace is is not even close to the same efficiency. He has He's on pace for 28-77, 25 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, and a 61.6 quarterback rating. So a full 20-point drop in quarterback rating. And that's seen in the interceptions, the lack of touchdowns, less yards. He's throwing a, a worse completion percentage. He had under 50% completion percentage against the Steelers this week. Again, a solid defense, but it's... It's tough to look at your quarterback as this elite player when he's not passing for above 50% completion percentage. And as a runner, he hasn't been as spectacular. In the first like seven games of last season, he was having like 100-yard rushing games. I think he had three or four of those. This year, he's only had one, and in that game, was only 108 rushing yards. So he's not, he's not doing crazy things on his feet, and he's regressed as a passer. So the problem is with the Ravens right now is that... They're, they're a team that's almost building like defense wins championships, run the ball on offense. And we've, we've seen that that's not the, the recipe for success in the NFL anymore. The Chiefs last year, they showed that. They played against the number one defense in the NFL in the 49ers, and they fucked their shit up. The Chiefs came out there, they scored a lot of points that they're always going to do. And that's the new model to build winning franchises in the NFL. When you, when you take that philosophy and you look at a Lamar Jackson, it's hard to place all the blame on him when the franchise has done nothing to help Lamar Jackson. We have to understand that in 2019, he really outperformed his expectations touchdown-wise by posting a 9% touchdown rate, and he led all quarterbacks in touchdowns with 36 in only 15 games with a pretty trash receiving core. Nobody on that team passed 65 catches or 900 yards, and the only person that had double touchdowns was Mark Andrews. The problem is that the, the Ravens aren't adopting that type of philosophy, and that's shown the Ravens are only 19th in offensive DVOA, yet they're supposed to be this this top five, top 10 contender type team. It's like I said before with the Chiefs, you have to probably have a top five, top 10 offense to win a Super Bowl in the modern age of the NFL. The thing is that they were planning for Lamar Jackson to replicate his efficiency last year and still maintain a top five offense in the NFL. And I think they're asking a lot from him. Last year, he outperformed his TD expectations by posting a 9% touchdown rate. He led all QBs and not only touchdown rate, but touchdowns with 36. And he led them with 36 and only 15 games with Lamar Jackson, the guy that was never even supposed to be that nice of a passer. And this is on a team that doesn't have the best receiving talent. You know, you have Patrick Mahomes who, who won it. Uh, he won MVP with guys like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. He had Kareem Hunt that year. Then this year, Russell Wilson might win it. He had DK Metcalf. He, had, he has Tyler Lockett. He's got Chris Carson in the backfield. Lamar Jackson won MVP last year simply with Mark Andrews and Willie Sneed. For me, you're asking so much of Lamar Jackson to do this twice, to go out there 
again. You know, the all, all the evaluators, they have they have 16 games of tape to watch on Lamar Jackson and how he did it last year. And you're gonna go ask him to do that same exact thing. And the reason why I can't blame any of it on Lamar Jackson, I know he just had four turnovers, but the reason why I can't point the finger at Lamar Jackson, why the Ravens aren't the it team right now, why they're not the Seahawks, the Chiefs, why they're not in that top five conversation for best, best or they are in the top five, but they're, they're not... They're not showing it. They're not. They're not beating the teams that they need to beat to get there. And I have a. Pro I have trouble blaming it on Lamar Jackson because, like I said in the la in the first episode of Between Two Jerseys, when we evaluate a quarterback, they have to have a proper set of weapons. They have to have a wide receiver one, uh, and a couple other pieces. All he had last year was Mark Andrews and Willie Sneed, and he was an elite Super Bowl caliber MVP type player. And for me, that's all I need to. That's all I need to see to cement Lamar Jackson as elite. That's that's all I have to see. He won an MVP and he did it without a, a crazy weapon. He didn't have his Tyree Killers, Devonta Adams, his DK Metcalf, all that. So expect him to, for the Ravens front office to expect him to repeat that, it's unreasonable. And they didn't give him any help in the offseason. I know that Marquise Brown, I know that you guys like Marquise Brown. I know the Ravens, they like Marquise Brown. And he's a great wide receiver, but he's 170 pounds. He might be 180 on a good day. And the thing is, he will never be an alpha wide receiver one that you can depend on. He'll never be a, a Devontae Adams, uh, Michael Thomas. And I know that people are going to jump out and say that he's going to be Tyreek Hill. Here's the thing. Tyreek Hill is like 200 plus pounds. He's built like a running back. He's played running back. They're two completely different styles of player. Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill. He's an outlier. There, we'll be lucky to see another player that's like Tyreek Hill and as explosive as him, as thick as him, pause if needed, and can make the same players. Marquise Brown is simply, his ceiling is Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson that can do a little bit more. Probably like a Deshaun Jackson... Stefan Diggs type guy. He Stefan Diggs is his is his absolute ceiling. And if he becomes Stefan Diggs, then sure. But to expect that in his second season from the, the Ravens front office is just it's it's unfair to Lamar Jackson, man. And I I think that on top of that, what they did in the draft just makes no sense. I understand interior linebacker was a need, and I understand that running back I understand that Jacob Dobbins is a good player. And I know that Patrick Queen and Jacob Dobbins are good players, but in the first two rounds they go out and take interior linebacker and running back in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. And those are two those are two positions that are luxury. You you build around quarterback, offensive tackle, edge rusher, wide receiver and corner, and then you go out from there. So to to ask Lamar Jackson to to go out there man down and have another MVP season to maybe win a Super Bowl is so is just so like cocky and unfair Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. They're just, they're doing that boy so dirty. To go out there, they grab an, a linebacker, a running back, two positions that don't affect the field in the same way that quarterback, tackle, edge, wide receiver, and cornerback do. And the thing is, is that this was such a stacked wide receiver class. They, if they pass on Patrick Queen, they get T. Higgins. They pass on J.K. Dobbins, they get a guy like Denzel Mims. I'm not saying that T. Higgins and Denzel Mims will save this offense, but at least just give this guy Lamar Jackson some help. It's it's so they're leaving him on an island almost, putting all the resources into the run game and the defense that they're they're expecting him to to perform at an elite level with Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And I know that those are two good players, but then next up we have Willie Sneed. The last play of the game where they lose to the Steelers was a pass to Willie Sneed. You should never your money play when you're you're down four from the forty yard line, have to get into the fucking end zone because you can't kick a field goal should never be let's draw up a play for Willie Sneed. There should never be a, let's, let's call Willie Sneed's number on the last play of the game. That should never that should never be the option. I know that they did grab Devin Duvernay, Duvernay in the third round of the NFL draft, but that's not enough That's not enough help to move the needle. He's a guy that's getting under two to three targets a game. I like him as a stash in Dynasty, as a buy-in Dynasty, because I think that that receiver room is so empty that he will eventually rise to the top 
and be like a two or three, like a second or third option on that team. So I think that that's a good dynasty buy. But when you look at just this Lamar Jackson situation in general, I think the front office, there's just no excuse for, for only adding DuVernay in the offseason. And then they also shipped off Hayden Hurst, who was like a, the third best wide receiver on that, or the third best receiving option on that team. So the way that they're setting up Lamar Jackson in 2020, I think is getting very underreported. I think a lot of the, the blame is going to be on Lamar Jackson sooner rather than later. So don't be surprised when you hear Skip Bayless sounding off about how Lamar Jackson is a one-hit wonder, can't win in the Super Bowl. I'm telling you, the guy's an elite quarterback. He's the real deal. So when we look back and we see the Ravens get knocked out of the playoffs early again, we can't we can't go back to the same question of, oh, is Lamar Jackson just knocking the playoffs? No, it's because they can't win against the elite teams because their, their front office decision-making, yes, they've drafted well in the past, so Lamar Jackson's a great pick, but they're not building the team the right way, and they're not building the team for Lamar Jackson. And in turn, it's hurting him. All right, made it through this whole episode of Between Two Jerseys, man. I appreciate you. I fucking love you, man. Make sure you go down below and subscribe. Leave a comment. Like I said, I'm always open to uh, new ideas for this show. This is a, a free-flowing show, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Pretty soon, we're going to have college basketball, NBA basketball. It's going to be after the NFL season. This is going to be a year-round podcast. I'm going to do it probably once, twice, three times a week. We'll see, we'll see where it goes. For right now, I'm having fun with it, man. And as always, find me on Twitter at Ron Stewart's underscore book. And as always, you can find me at Ron Stewart underscore on Twitter, and I'll see you in the next one.